All right. Hey, how you guys doing? TLC, I love you. Everybody give a big old heart at home for the community of God and just worshiping together here. Ah, man. I have been humbled this week. I have been humbled this week. Uh, and I really wanted for us to gather back together and worship and come together as a community, as a family. And yet God was saying, let me humble you, you child. Right? TLC zero. COVID. Two million. All right? I ain't going to beat that. We ain't going to beat that. But I'm glad to be worshiping with you guys. I hope you guys are doing well at home. You guys are in a place where you guys can listen and, and, and receive God's word, God's worship, and just be in the presence of his, uh, his presence at this moment. Uh, today's word is the last of our series on when the church was a family. You know, when I first wrote this series and then when, and then when I kind of timed it, I was really thinking that today would be the day where I kind of, we all kind of culminate together and I give us the, the last hoorah about what does it look like to be a church family. And I guess this is how it is. And God's kind of, God is reminding me the church family is not always um, as, a, as, as, as how I would want to view it. But he is doing something special and I, and I believe it. And I believe that Wherever you're worshiping God at, he is going to do something real deep in your life and in your heart, right? Uh, so this series, it, it, it was developed and it was written to kind of help us gather and remind us as a community what it looks like to be a family and a, and a body of God, right? But it also, over, you know, the course of just history and culture, what's happening on the background, it, it took on a new, new uh, narrative. It, it began to kind of uh, was developed or grew into a place where to help our church, our Christian brothers and sisters, you guys, navigate the narrative that's going on in our country as well. As, as we begin to ask the question, what does it look like to be a church in the midst of what's going on around us? What does it look like to be a church and a Christian in the midst of all of the um, kingdom narratives that we've been hearing around us? All right? We've talked about how, as a believer... Grace or the gospel ought to bear witness to our lives first and foremost. That the foundation, the why in which we exist is that the gospel bears witness to our lives, changing us, shaping us, molding us, so that we may bear witness of this gospel to the world around us. Right? It is the gospel's power bearing witness to our souls and our lives living that gospel out. That's what it looks like to be a church family. And last week we talked about how, how love is the highest ethics, the highest action that the church family ought to exhibit to the ones around us. That the, that the word of God, every law, every command sums up to love God, love your neighbor. That our, our, our duty and our responsibility is not to go through these laws and commands to think that God's going to love me less if I don't do it, but to recognize that these commands are meant for us and a guide for us to love those around us. And today, today, I want to just end this series with this simple um, question. What are the signs of life that makes a church a family? What, what, are, the, what are the signs that tells us that the church of God is alive? What are the signs given, what are the indicators that helps us to 
understand within our hearts, within the hearts of brothers and sisters around us, that this church is the family of God, the indication that this church is alive and living out its life with God. You know, there is, wherever there is life, there is signs of life. You know what I'm talking about? When you go and, 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 you're, and if you're pregnant, you go to an ultrasound and you look at the ultrasound and what you see is just like this little blob on it and the doctor tells you that's your baby and you look at it and you're like, that's a peanut, right? That doesn't look like a baby. And all of a sudden the, the doctor puts on the, um, the sonogram and begins to hear the heartbeat of the baby. Where there is life, there has to be signs of life. When a, when a young man, a young woman, or a young man falls in love, right, there's signs of love. He begins to sing out of the blue. He smiles more often. He, he stares at the moon in awe, right? Maybe, maybe none of us stares at the moon in awe, but what I'm saying is if there is life, there are signs of life. And in the same way, if the church is alive, that there are signs that this church is alive. And I hope that today, as we go through some of this, these, these points, that you guys will begin to ask the question, hey, am I, am I part of creating a family that's alive? Am I part of creating a community that's alive? Is this an indication of our community, our family, right? What makes the church the family of God? What are the signs that makes the church the family of God? I got four points today, right? Uh, it won't be long. I made it longer for the Vietnamese service, but today, uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay. First point, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is the, this is the first gathering of the church, verse 42 to 47. And this is the, these are the, the, within these five verses, these are the indications of the signs of life, okay? We're going to read verse 42 and 43 first. Check this out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The first sign that makes the church the family of God to show that the church is alive, is that Jesus is in the center of that community. Everybody at home say center. Center, thank you, right? That Jesus is the center of that community. He is their driving force. The good news of what he has done is the very thing that drives them. See, they, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what did the apostles taught? They taught about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They taught about the implications of that. They talked about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things and how Jesus is going to restore all these things. Jesus' teaching, he was the center of their life, of their mind, what they thought about. See, we don't have the apostles here anymore, but we have the apostles Letters. We have what they wrote. We have what they said to these churches and these people. And so when we begin to say, hey, is my church alive? Am I alive? The question you should be asking is, is Jesus' word center of my heart? And not only were they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus, they also did what? Every aspect of their life was centered upon Jesus. When they broke bread, you know what breaking bread, when they ate, when they ate, 
Jesus was part of that. They reminded themselves of God in the midst of that. Breaking bread here is pretty much the idea of the communion. Right? When, they, when, they, when they gathered together, which is almost daily, they broke bread. And every time they broke bread, they reminded themselves, this was the body broken for us. That in their daily life, their daily needs of their life, they thought about Jesus. That's the sign. That in your daily needs, Jesus is what you think about. Even in the quietness of your life, they devoted themselves to prayer. That in the quietness and in the stillness and in their isolation of their life, they didn't devote themselves to the screens or they didn't have screens. They didn't devote themselves to distractions. They devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer. In the expression of their life, in the way they lived their life, they lived their life as if God is to be praised for everything. They lived their life praising God and what he was doing. Right? You see, what I'm trying to get at is this. I know that sounds pretty generic and pretty simple, but my question that I always have to ask is, is Jesus the center of your family, of this family? You are part of this family. If you are, if you call this place home, you are part of TLC's church family, God's family. And if you are a part of this family, the question I'm asking is Jesus the center of your existence? Everybody at home say center. center. Right? And how do I know? How do I know Jesus is the center, PT? I'm asking this question. It's very simple. This is a simple test you can do. When there is needs in your life. When there is struggles in your life, when there is a question in your life, when there is a situation that comes up in your life, is your natural reflex to ask, what does God say about this? How does God want me to respond about this? How would I approach this in a way that honors God? Is that your natural reflex when things come up in your life? That the first thing you turn to is your God. Is that your natural reflex? Is that where your heart is at? You see, if you guys didn't know, when the Bible talks about the heart, and I've been sharing this around because I thought it was just so profound. When, when the Bible talks about the heart, you know, science, what they're saying is that it's, it's part of what we call the limbic system in your mind. This is the part that is the reactionary part of your life. It's what you go to for comfort, for safety, for foundation. When things go bad, this is what you turn to. So people who have built their life off of addiction, the Olympic system is set, set and um, wired for that. So the moment situation comes up, the moment problem comes up, they turn what? They turn to their addictions. When, you're, when, your, heart, when your heart is centered on something else like money, fame, power, the moment something comes up, the moment a situation shows up, what happens? You turn to that. Your natural reflex is to go back to that, right? Those at home and those brothers of mine, maybe even sisters of mine who, who are, you know you're addicted to pornography because the moment there are emptiness, you're alone, you're angry, you're, 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 you're mad or you're hungry, what do you turn to? That's your reflex, so when I ask the question, is Jesus the center of your life? What I'm saying is this, is he the reflex for you? 
When something goes on, is he the reflex for you? And when it comes to the narrative that's been going on in our country nowadays, right? When, when, when things started happening and, and racial injustice and systemic racism become part of our conversation nowadays, was the first thing you did was to jump and ask questions like, what does God say about race? Was your heart's beating and saying, what does God say about murder, the abuse of authority? What does God say about the oppression of the weak, about powers of the government and their responsibility, about violence, about anarchy? What does God command of me during this time? How does God define justice and how should I go about administering that justice? Were those the question that naturally, reflexively, came up in your mind. Now, I'm not saying that the cultural narrative is not, does not overlap. I'm, it does overlap because truth is truth. But what I'm saying is for the brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of God's family, was that your natural reflex to ask that question? Or was it to go with whatever tide of emotions came your way? Church, what does it look like to be the family of God? What is the sign? What are the signs that shows that we are God's family? First, Jesus is the center. Everyone at home say center again. Secondly, what's the sign that Jesus is or the, there's life in this family of God? What, is, what are the signs that, that, that we are living in a community that represents God's family? Look at verse 44. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 47, they praised God enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. What is the sign that the church is a family of God? There is word and there is action. Everybody at home say action. All right? You see, the people of God, when the word of God is driving and administering into their heart, when the gospel is bearing witness to their souls, the reflexive action that comes out of it is that there is things to be done. People's action begins to reflect what they believe in. There's not just words being yapping around or feelings being uh, administered, but there are actions that happens with that, Right? You see, I, um, it's like this. It's, it's like when, someone, when, you, when you say to someone, yeah, I'll pray for you. When someone's when they, they addressed to you a concern or a need and you say, I'll pray for you, which is a good thing to say. I'll pray for you. But as you're praying for them, maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in their vicinity to be the answer to their prayer. Now, not only are you just the person who prays, but you may be the person who's going to help answer that prayer for them, right? And in the same way, maybe you're, maybe you're in church and you're thinking, you know what, all I want to do, PT, is just preach the gospel. All I want to do is just preach the gospel. Yes, you got to preach the gospel and live the gospel. You can't just do one and neglect the other. It's a both and, not an either or. But sometimes when we talk about let's just preach the gospel, it sounds holy because it sounds churchish, right? It sounds very Christianese. But the scripture talks about what? There was 
There was a word, and they had action behind it. You see, the church here, what they did was they gathered everyone together. It didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, different ethnicity, different culture. They gathered together. They had everything in common. They didn't separate. They didn't segregate. They didn't just say, yeah, we love people. They actually loved people. They didn't just say, we'll take care of people. They actually took care of people. You know, and I shared this with you one time. In um, the, there was a Roman emperor who wrote to his, um, his imperial majesty, and they said, like, look, you guys are messing up. The Christians, they're taking care of everyone's poor. They're not, they're not just taking care of their own poor. They're taking care of the, the Egyptian poor, the Syriac poor, the, um, the Roman poor. They're, they're taking care of everybody. When they say they love their neighbors, they actually loved their neighbors. Now, what do I mean by this? What, what, what does this have to do with us? I, wrote a, I read a quote today, um, and, I, and I really loved it, and it was really convicting. It said this, many young professionals, many young professionals want to be an advocate for the marginalized, but not be around the marginalized. God help us be present in our advocacy. It's not just about sincerity, it's about action, Right? I'm not going to lie to you. This is, this is a hard thing, right? To say that we care for the issues that's happening around us, to be sincere about it, and not to be there as well. That's a clear sign there's something wrong with the church family, right? It's not just about words. It has to be words and action. You can't just say, I, I, I know to love God and to love people. You got to go out there and actually love people. What are the signs? What is the sign that the church of God is the family, that there is life in this church, that there is life in you? Is that there is word and action. Everybody at home say action. All right. Do you exhibit that? Is this an indication of your life? Or are we passive? Passiveness is the number one killer of any family. Passive is what screwed Adam up in the first place. Adam and Eve. If that homie was not passive, we would not be having these problems that we're having today. But because he was passive, everyone else was. That's why the word of God, that's why Jesus was perfect. You know why? Because he didn't just come with the word. He came to fulfill the word. He didn't just come to talk about things. He came to make things happen. And he was the fulfillment of everything that was supposed to be done. His obedience brought us life. That's why as believers, we can't just talk with sincerity. There must also be action involved. Would you check your heart, church? What are the signs that the church family is alive? Jesus is the center. There's word and action. Thirdly, Look at verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he has need. The third sign that God's family is alive and doing what it's called to do is that there's an unselfish generosity. Everybody at home say generosity. Right? Generosity. There is an unselfish generosity. 
They gave unselfishly. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. It wasn't done when it was convenient. It wasn't done simply because it was um, an event. It was done because it was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle of giving, continuous giving. And the thing was this. See, they were able to give up what they had simply because they kept reminding themselves Christ gave up his life. If he would go as far as giving up his life, what is my possessions that I would hold on to it so dearly? And it's not about just being generous with money. It's being generous with your time. It's being generous with your home. It's being generous with your energy. It's being generous with your emotions. There is an unselfish generosity that was an indication of God's people. Anyone can give, guys. Anyone, when, when we call, when anyone in this world, when, when, when it's necessary, people will give. There is, something, there is something uniquely beautiful about the human spirit that still resonates God's grace, God's glory, and God's wanting to help. But the spirit of unselfish generosity, that's different. That is different. That is pretty much saying, I will give even if I lose. Most people will give when it's convenient. Christians give even if they lose. What are the signs that there's life in the church family? What are the signs that there's life in you as God's son, as God's daughter? One, Jesus is the center. Two, there's word and action. Three, generosity is a way of life. It's a way of life. And lastly, lastly, verse 46. I know, right? You guys are thinking it's last point already? Holy moly. All right. You're welcome. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What are the signs? What are the signs that there's life in God's family? They did life together. Everyone at home say together. Together. They did life together. I, I know you're asking, how are we going to do life together, PT, when we are separated by COVID? You can be disconnected without being distant. You can be separated without having to be broken up. You do life together. You know why? You know how? Because in your heart, you have set in your mind that I am committed to love this body. I am committed to stay with this body. I am committed to embrace the pains, the ups and the downs with this body. And I am committed to grow with this body. If you have that as a mindset... You're doing life together. See, the moment you begin to lose that commitment, you disconnect. See, you can, dis you can be distant without having to be disconnected with each other. See, we're all broken. Every church is broken. If you 
run around every day trying to find the perfect church, you made, and if you, if you did find the perfect church, God's help you, right? You would probably have made that church imperfect because your presence was there. Okay? See, let me tell you something about the church culture in America. The church culture in America is, is in, instead of encouraging loyalty, and I know you guys think like sometimes, PT, when you talk about loyalty, you're thinking about loyalty, uh, you're thinking about like, like you know, that, that type of loyalty, like, hey, stick with me and hang out with me and be with me. No, I'm not talking about that type of loyalty. I'm talking about the loyalty that comes from commitment to a local family of believers. This is what they do. This is what we do, right? According, according to, according to a, a poster uh, by George Barna, this is what he saw about the American church culture. He saw them like this. The American Christians prefer variety of church experiences rather than getting the most out of all that a single church has to offer. We come for the experiences. And so, some, and so many times the church cave into the idea and tried to create so many experiences for people just to keep them there. And the culture tells us, go and have an experiment, experiences, because experiences are better than nothing, better than, than, than just having blessing or having one thing. But the church culture that we see, the church family that we see here is what? It's commitment together, loyalty together. See, the American Christians, they think that spiritual enlightenment, spiritual maturity comes from the diligence in discovering, in the discovery process. The more I discover, the more spiritually mature and spiritually enlightened I'll be. Rather than thinking that from a commitment to a faith community and perspective is how we grow. The American Christian churches believes that you got to have discovering, you, you got to discover more new things in order to find yourself being more spiritually mature. When the reality is, is you become spiritually mature when you're willing to be committed, right, to your community. The American Christian church, they view religion as a commodity that we consume rather than one in which we invest in. That you come to church and you say, like, is this convenient for me? Is this time good for me? Are, these, are the people around me good for me? Is the message good for me? Is the actions of the people good for me? Instead of thinking, how can I invest in here? How can I have a new relationship with the people here? When I come to this place, when I'm around here, when you're sitting at home for the past three, four months, the question you should be asking is, how can I invest into this community more rather than asking, well, do they have everything set up to make my life convenient for Sunday service? And the American Christians, they're transient, meaning what? 15 to 20% of people move from church to church every year. What we see here is this. The sign that there's life in God's family is that they're willing to live and do life together. They're willing to do it together. Some of you guys, I know you got home, you're thinking like, well, PT, what if, what if the church is, is preaching a bunch of crazy stuff? I don't, I don't agree with what they're saying all the time. You know who had that problem? Paul had that problem. You know which letter? The letter to the Galatian church. 
And they weren't just preaching something that was inconvenient or people that didn't like that didn't tickle their ears. They were preaching heresy, actual heresy. They were preaching, you need Jesus and something else to be saved, right? That, that kind of preaching will condemn every believer to hell if they believe in that. They were preaching actual heresy. And what do you think Paul told that church? People, hey, get out of there. Hey, you got to leave. You know what? You got to bone out. No, you know what he said? He said, I challenge you. Stick it out. Partner with God. Go back to the word. Go back to the truth. Work with the people around you. Work with your neighbors. Work with your brothers. Work with your sister and fix this problem. Battle it out because it is in the battle and in the embracing of the pain within the community, within the family, that's how you grow. It is not by running. Running never, never makes you grow. Running just brings your problem to another place. Oh, well, PT, what, what if the church is full of just a bunch of hypocrites, divisive? What if they're like just immoral in every possible way? Surely that's the time when I bounce out, right? No. You know who had that problem too? Paul had that problem too. He wrote to the church in Corinth. They were divided in their beliefs. They were immoral in their sexual ethics, right? There, were, there was a dude sleeping with his mother-in-law, and the church was like, we support you. We love you. And Paul's like, what are you, stupid? Right? There was churches that was dealing with really immoral things. And what did Paul tell them? Yeah, you got to go. You got to get out of there. That's unhealthy for you. He said, what? You're a family. Stick it together. Go back to the word. Make Jesus the center. And not just talk about it, but actually do something about it. Go and make something happen. Embrace the pain. Live together. Commit to love with one another. Right? Commitment to love. Embrace the pain. And then grow together. Do you know how you as a church can do this? That we don't have, though we are distant, we don't have to be disconnected. Right? One of the things is you make this time sacred. Sunday service is 12.30. That is still sacred to you. It's sacred to your heart. And when you come on and you're ready for worship and you're ready for service, and you guys all sit down, we're worshiping God together, we're listening to the word together, we're praying together, that's how we are distant but not disconnected because the spirit of God dwells in the midst of that. Do you know how you can be this, can, uh, this is how you can be distant but not disconnected when you still can be together. Stop. Continue to meet up together. Maybe not physically, right? But meet up online. You guys can take walks in the park and be six feet from each other. We don't have to let these things debilitate us. We are meant to do life together. Don't let distance disconnect you. What are the signs of life? That tells us that we are a church family, that the church uh, family is alive. What are the signs that tells us the church family is alive? One, Jesus is the center. Everybody say center. There's word and action. Everybody say action. There, there is a constant and wanting, right, 
to do and live life with generosity. Everybody say generosity. And lastly, there's a willingness to live life together. Everybody say together. Church, I know this is not easy to do. Honestly, it's not. It's not an easy thing. But if we want to be a community that does life, that, that actually reflects God, if we want to be a community that actually shows that we are alive and we are part of God's family, this is what we are called to do. And the only way that you can do this, the only power that can drive you to be willing to stop listening to everyone else but listen to Jesus, the only thing that can drive you to continuously want to go out there and do something and loving your neighbors, anything that's going to drive you to live a life of generosity, the only thing that's going to keep you together is that you remember the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. You cannot forget that gospel because that gospel tells you something. That gospel te- it tells you that Jesus Christ is real and he's alive. And he is sovereign, and he is in control, and he is going to reign, and he will return, and he will bring justice and judgment upon all things. He will make things right. And so as a believer, when we understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are saying, yes, God, whatever you say, I will follow. I will trust in it. Because if I can see that you are willing to come back from the dead, you have shown yourself to be true and worthy. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and alive in you, you know what happens? You begin to recognize and see the people around you not different. You begin to see everyone as God's image bearers. You don't just love them because they click with you or they they look like you. You love them because you know that you are a sinner, broken just like them, and in need of God's grace and mercy. And you received it by mercy and by grace, not because you've done anything. So how could you ever look at somebody and not love them? How could you ever look at somebody and not seek for their good and their benefit? And you can live generously. As the gospel is breathing and moving in you, you can live with unselfish generosity. Do you know how? Because you have a God who unselfishly gave his life for you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that you would be found. And if he's able to give up that for you, generosity comes easily because you know that what? You have the love of the king. You know your identity. You know your worth. You know your value is not determined by anyone else. And you're able to live a life that gives. And lastly, You're able to stay together, to endure, and to grow. Because you recognize that in you, God is still doing his work. Is he not? God is still working in you. He is still shaping you. He is still changing you. And he has never abandoned you. The Bible says he is for you, not against you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Heaven and earth, demons, angels, principalities will never strip you from the love of Jesus Christ. He is for you completely, and if he is that devoted to me, I can deal with my brother and my sister in the church. I can endure through pain and embrace it so that we can grow together, right? So church, I pray for that. 
that as we are being scattered throughout Orange County because of COVID and being bombarded by the narrative of the culture around us, that we would turn and fix our hearts and remember to be the family that God has called us to be, that we would have life in us, that we would be true. Let's pray, church.